Hello, everyone, and welcome into another edition of Coach Time, an NBA Conference Finals edition of Coach Time here on the Believe Network. I'm your host, John Lyons. Pleasure to be joined by Alex Tosopoulos, who's a producer at Believe Network and host of the Charity Stripe. So great hoops guy to have on. Alex, thank you for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's actually, uh, John, I don't know if you knew this, but it's my birthday today. So No I'm, way. All right. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So I'm excited to be joining you on my birthday. There's nothing that I like better than talking sports, specifically basketball. Um, so this is a treat for me. This is this is all I could ever ask for on my birthday, except, which I mentioned to you before we got on the air, if the Mavericks jumped up in the lottery tonight and, and were able to get the first overall pick and then go draft Victor Wenbanyama. But that's uh, less than 1.5% chance, so I'm, I'm not crossing my fingers too hard on that one. Well, happy birthday, first of all, and uh, hopefully maybe all your takes today will come true. It'll be like a birthday blessing of all the takes you give. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. And hope for your Mavs, Mavs as well, I should say. So I, I do want to jump right into it here because tonight, Denver and the Lakers, they begin their Western Conference final series. And these are two teams that took very different paths to get to the Western Conference finals. You had Denver, who was one of the best teams in the NBA all season long. They're the top seed in the West. Then you have a Lakers team that stumbled out of the gate. They were eight games below 500 midway through the season. They have the huge trade deadline moves, bringing in D'Angelo Russell, bringing in Vanderbilt, and they completely turned their season around. They're one of the best teams in the NBA from that point until the end of the season, but they still enter as a play-in team. They right. beat Memphis in the first round in six, which I don't think surprised a ton of people because all the question marks Memphis has. But then they go and play the defending champion Warriors, beat them. Now they face Denver, who is arguably the toughest opponent so far. I think the Warriors probably didn't quite have the horses this year. But when you look at the past the, these two teams have taken here, what are your thoughts on how they got to this point? And does that have any impact on the early part, at least, of this series? Um. I don't know. I don't think that their paths um, are dictating what's going to happen in this series. Um, not in the same way that I feel like it will, at least in game one and game two in the Eastern Conference Finals, where the, the Celtics just had a, a really tough seven-game series against the Philadelphia 76ers, although they closed out tremendously. But I think the Nuggets and the Lakers were, for all intents and purposes, they, they took care of business in the first two rounds. Um they're coming in healthy. No, neither of these teams have major injuries that they're dealing with. Um, and, and when you're looking at, I, I know Anthony Davis last round, he got, he got bumped on the head, right? But there was no, no concussion, no concussion protocol. So all things are good there. Um, and obviously they're going to need him uh, to defend two out of the last three years, MVP award winning Nikola Jokic, who is firing on all cylinders, who in my opinion has been the best player in the playoffs. And, you know, until the last month and a half of the season where the Nuggets kind of, they kind of, they, they pulled things back a little bit and efforts for them then to be at, at full tilt in the playoffs um, was the best player in the NBA. And I believe he currently is the, the best player in the NBA, certainly the best offensive weapon in the NBA. Um, I, I think this is going to be a tremendous matchup. And I was looking just at the lines. Um, uh, the series lines have, have already swung you know, even from yesterday to today, and of course now we're, we're at game day at this point, but the Lakers yesterday were, were plus 165 at, uh, at betonline.ag to win the series, and now they're plus 200. So I don't know if, if, you know, that has to do with how many people were taking 
um, the Lakers to to win this series. But you know, I saw a lot of different pundits, whether they covered the Lakers or they covered the NBA at large, thinking that the Lakers could not only win this series but win it in six. Um, I don't I don't share that opinion. I think that this is Nikola Jokic's time, and I think he will rise to the occasion as he has done in round one and round two. And uh, but but I don't think it's going to be an easy win for the Nuggets whatsoever. And it's funny with this series, obviously every playoff game is important, but you don't always think of game one as a really important game in a series. But Denver was 40 and seven at home this year, including six and oh in the playoffs. And the Lakers come in having one game one on the road in both of their previous two series. So do you see the Lakers being able to come in in game one and steal a win? from? And you mentioned it's Jokic's time. And, and I agree with you. I think Denver is the better team. Jokic is playing like the best player in the world. But given the Lakers' success in early games on the road, do you think they can come in and do that? Or, or is Denver just too good at home? I actually I think it's crucial that they do that. Because as good as Denver was at home in the regular season, the, the Lakers have been that good at home in the playoffs. Um, I actually don't, I don't think they've dropped a game at home. I, uh, they I could beat be Golden there. State, I think three times at home. And then in round one, I think, yeah, I think they haven't lost a home game yet. So it, it's obviously something to play at, at crypto.com, formerly Staples. Um, if you want to continue calling it Staples. Yeah, the Staples I have, Center. I have no issue with that, but I, I think it's crucial for them to get one of these two games in Denver, um, and, and really put some pressure on the Nuggets because, while I do think that the Nuggets, and like you said as well, I think they have the better team. I think they have the best overall player in this series um, uh, until LeBron proves me otherwise because I still think he has another level that he can get to. I feel feel like there's a little bit of gas left in the tank with him, um, and he's kind of just been – he's been waiting, and he's been waiting, and, and in, in you know typical LeBron fashion, he will show up when, when the lights are shining brightest. Um, you know, I, I just – the environment that, that Staples brings night in, night out is second to none. Um, and I'm sure New Yorkers will probably, you know, take some flack with that. And TD Garden has been bumping yeah, as well. Yeah, those of us in Boston did yeah, get yeah, loud at Game 7. Of course. But um, I, I'm really excited to watch this first game and see what happens here um, to see how Darvin Ham and the Lakers' defense tries to mitigate Jokic. Um, tries to to mitigate the the pick and roll between him and Jamal Murray. I saw the Celtics be really effective with that in Game Seven, um, shutting down. Right? Like for all intents and purposes, they shut down Harden and Embiid. That pick and roll that has been excellent this entire this entire season, and what allowed Embiid to kind of get to that free throw line jumper um, that he shot at, at such a high uh, level of efficiency throughout the throughout the year. And I know he was banged up, but. I would take some of that same defensive game plan if I were the Lakers and put that into play against the Nuggets here. Yeah, and I agree. And I think one name you mentioned that I really want to see how he affects the series is Jamal Murray. Because he's a guy that when they played in the bubble in the Western Conference Finals, he was not healthy at all. And then he comes into this series. He finally, for the first time to me in a couple of years, really looks healthy. I mean, just in the playoffs alone, he's averaging 25 points, five rebounds, six assists. I mean, this is the best he's looked arguably in his career, but at the very least since he suffered that major injury a few years ago. When you look at the stars of this series, I think we can agree Jokic is the top star in this series. I think we can say, you know, LeBron's probably two. But when it comes down to Anthony Davis and Jamal Murray, now Anthony Davis has been an animal so far this postseason, but do you see Jamal Murray 
being able to give the Nuggets similar to what Davis gives the Lakers? Can he be that true second star in a Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, to me, if I do, which I, I like to have fun, you know, with these series and kind of do some power rankings every now and then, or at least before the series starts, and then, you know, after the series is over, kind of look at how the players individually have played in the context of how talented I believe those guys are um, as basketball players. And, and right now, I would say, coming into this series, it's Jokic 1, Davis 2, LeBron 3, and Murray 4. Now, I would say that there's a steep drop between the three and the four there Okay. Um, in, in regards to how I look at these guys as basketball players. I think that Murray's lack of consistency, um, there are games where he will score 11 points. There are other games where he will go off and he will score 30, 30 plus, 35, 37. In the bubble, it was 40 plus at times, um, especially in that series against the Jazz where he and Mitchell were going toe-in-toe with each other. So I think at the end of this series— if I'm looking at it and I'm saying, well, Jamal Murray, maybe he's still number four, but that four is a lot closer to three than I thought going into it, the Nuggets are in a really good position. And I think the real kicker for them is where Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter Jr. in this mix. Michael Porter Jr. has not stepped up to the level that I think he needs to for the Nuggets to win this series. Again, Jokic has been the best player in the playoffs. Murray has had some great flashes, and I agree with you. I think he's looked as good as he has coming back from the injury. And I think he'll continue to progress. I expect next year he'll look even better. Same thing that we saw with Clay this season in the regular season in comparison to him coming back from that injury. Um, you know, it's a, it's a major leg injury and, and it takes time to kind of work yourself back into the, having that confidence, especially for a guy like Jamal Murray. A lot of step backs, a lot of quick cuts. He is very athletic when he's going to the rim. Um, so that's where I have the most question marks for the Nuggets is with, with Porter Jr. And, and a lot of that for him is just like, can he hit his shots, right? He gets so many open looks because of Jokic. But then what kind of pressure can Aaron Gordon put on the Lakers' defense on the weak side? When Jokic has the ball, and I'm talking about that, that uh, pick and roll with him and Murray, if Murray slips it to Jokic, now he has the ball at the free throw line, he can see the shooters in the corners, he can attack with that mid-range. He's got that little step back that he that he likes a lot. He can get deep into the paint. But I expect that Anthony Davis, with his size and his uh, defensive prowess, will be able to keep him out of the paint or will try to keep him out of the paint as much as he can. But if Gordon's there as a weak side lob threat, um, and that's a true threat, and, you know, and Michael Porter Jr. is shooting well on the outside, which allows you not to be able to you know heavy help on that lob threat, Gordon could do a lot of damage um, around the paint. And so that's something that I'm going to be looking for. And, and he has to shoot the three ball well. Obviously, KCP will be involved with that. Bruce Brown, who's been shooting really well in, in this series. I think the others for the Nuggets um, are really going to have to step up. And they're going to make the, – the Lakers are going to make them step up for sure. Um, on the Lakers' side, I keep talking about LeBron. But I think he, to me, is the real swing piece in this series. They have a deep enough roster where someone will step up, whether it's Reeves or Russell or Hachimura or Schroeder. Um, maybe even Jared Vanderbilt on the offensive side a couple of the games in this series any given night. But LeBron can't be 22, 6, and 8. You know, yeah. he, he has to be upper 20s points per game scoring. He has to be 8-plus assists. He has to be all over the glass um, and, and really putting pressure on Jokic to be a defender, which Anthony Davis is already going to do because I imagine that's what the matchup's going to be there. Although you might see Gordon on Davis a lot. Um, you'll certainly see Gordon on LeBron. 
But I think LeBron to me is the real swing piece in this in this series. So we've went through the two rosters here and what needs to happen early in this series for the Lakers. And you mentioned them having to steal one of these first two games to be in this series. So in this series, let's say the Lakers steal one of the first two. Do you see Denver being able to go to L.A.? And I know you mentioned how great an environment that is, but Denver, they won game six in Phoenix, but they did lose games three and four in Phoenix. So do you see them being able to go to L.A. and take back home court if needed? I, th- I think we certainly could be through four games in this series, and, and it could be tied up 2-2 with each of the teams losing one game on their own home court. Sure. Um, I, you know, because that's something that the Warriors weren't able to do, and I, I do believe that this Nuggets team is better than the Warriors partly because, I, again, I would take Jokic over Steph right now, which is saying something as incredible as Steph Curry is, but I also think the other guys on this Nuggets roster are playing better then Andrew Wiggins played. Then Clay Thompson was playing. Then Jordan Poole certainly was playing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to really slight Draymond Green's play because I thought he was tremendous through those first two rounds, outside of the, you know, the the ejection and missing one of the games with the with the suspension. But I I just have, and a lot of that has to do with Jokic because what he's able to do offensively and his defense has stepped up in the playoffs. Guys like Gordon, guys like KCP, they have less pressure than Clay did on him, than, than Andrew Wiggins had, than Jordan Poole certainly had. Um, he just makes things so much easier for the rest of these guys. I mean, I think almost all the rest of the starters on this team had career high in offensive ratings. That has to do with Jokic. That's, yeah. that's the sole reason why. Um, I also think, I, I just throw in there from a coaching standpoint, Ham has done a, tre- a tremendous job, and he's obviously a rookie head coach. Um but Michael Malone feels a little, he feels due to me. And, and yeah. I think he's one of those guys that he, I, I believe in his coaching. And I think he has, at this point, the consistency of this roster, how long these guys have been together. I know a lot of the, the like tertiary and quaternary pieces have changed around Jokic, Porter Jr., and, uh, and, and, and Jamal Murray. I'm going to be there. But, um, but I, I, I trust that relationship that that coach has with these guys for them to know who they are and know their identity. Um, this is a team, though, that in the bubble, they lost in five against this Lakers team. The Lakers yeah. made quick work of them. So they have, I would say, more pressure on them than the Lakers do. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the Lakers coming in as a play-in team. And look, when you have LeBron, you always have a chance to win a championship. But coming in as a play-in team, going on the road in Memphis, going on the road in Golden State, I think, I don't want to say it's quite house money because they do have LeBron and AD, but it's pretty close. It sounds to me like you're leaning Denver in this series. I mean, do you like Denver in this and how many games? Yeah, I think I like Denver in seven right now. But I might watch tonight and completely flip. Like, there's a chance that, you know, if the Lakers, which you you never want to get too far ahead of yourself after one game because a lot of times – the home team comes in with energy, so much energy that it's disruptive to to them doing what they've done the entire season. Um, and, and, you know, the away team can then take advantage of that because they've got the chip on their shoulder. They've got nothing to lose in game one. They're not expecting to win game one on the road. Um, and a lot of times, and especially in, in the 2023 playoffs, we've seen that happen where the road team has taken game one. So I never want to overreact after that. But depending on the type of win, if the Lakers were to win game one, 
um, I, I might get swayed to to flip my series pick. So that's All how right. close I think this is going to yeah. be. No, and I think it's a fair point because, you know, like we kind of mentioned, the Lakers, they're not your typical seven seed. They, they come in, they're right. the play-in team. Since the trade deadline, they've been one of the best teams in the NBA, and they have LeBron, they have AD, they have guys that have won a championship just a few years ago. So this is a series that I think is going to be really evenly matched. I, I think Denver does win, but I think it's one of those series where maybe you have one blowout and then every other game is within 10 points and every game is a hard fought game, no matter who wins. But I do think it's ultimately Denver in the Western conference finals, a series that at least according to Vegas might not be so evenly matched is the Eastern conference finals, Alex, where speaking of play in teams, the Miami heat who got smoked in their first play in game have yeah. now found themselves all the way back in the Eastern conference finals against the Boston Celtics. Roles are reversed this year with the Celtics having home court, being the better team all year. I, look, I look at this series, and I'm a Celtics fan. I watch every Celtics game, so they stress me out enough. I, I'm never going to say the Celtics are going to sweep somebody or win in five because they always find a way to make things harder on themselves. We saw against Atlanta. Yeah. But I look at this series, and I have a ton of respect for the Heat and Spolstra and Butler and what they've built there and how hard they play. And that's not to say they aren't good either. Like that, Butler's a great player. They have great players there. I just look at this Celtics roster and I wonder if in that game seven against Philly and late game six and into game seven, maybe they turned a little bit of a corner and they executed down the stretch when they needed to. And then they stepped up into game seven. And I look at the roster and how deep it is. And look, I think it's going to be a competitive series. Don't get me yeah. wrong. But I, I look at this as Boston in five, no more than six games, just the depth alone. But I do think the Celtics turned a little bit of a corner at the end of that Philly series. Given what you've seen, I completely agree. They, they absolutely turned a corner. They looked like a completely different team. I'm not, when I'm talking about my, my player power rankings going into you know this Eastern Conference Finals, Jason Tatum made it really hard for me not to put him as that number one guy. As good of a playoffs as Jimmy Butler has had, um, they, it was a question. It's a toss-up yeah. for me. And, you know, th that gives you some confidence, right? Having potentially the best player on the court. I mean, going into the playoffs, I think most people would say, yeah, Jason Tatum is a top seven player in basketball. Yeah. Top eight. I mean, he's an all-NBA first-team guy. And Jimmy Butler is maybe more of the, the 8 to 15. Now we get through two rounds and we're like, well, maybe not, right? Maybe Jimmy <laughs> Butler in the playoffs is just a different guy. Uh, he, he is. He is a different guy in the playoffs. I, I wonder if you could still regress back to having some of those woes, um, you know, earlier in the round. I think that, like, if they keep that momentum, the Celtics should make quick work of the Miami Heat simply because the the talent disparity between these two teams is incredibly evident. And yeah. while you were talking about in the Nuggets-Lakers series where maybe one of the games is a blowout, um, if the Celtics are playing their best brand of basketball at the highest level of efficiency and <laughs> Missoula isn't trying to get too fancy with the spices, then I completely agree with you. Five or six, um, yeah, that, that seems like the right call. But yeah, and I think, I, too, this is... Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but I've also... Last season, while the Heat had home court, I felt more confident in last year's Celtics team than I do in this year's Celtics team. But 
if they give me two more games of what they did at the end of game six and game seven, okay, I, I think they've really, really solidified where they need to be and who they are mentally to take it not only through the Eastern Conference Finals, but all the way. And then at that point, you know, the Nuggets and the Lakers, whoever whoever wins the Western Conference Finals are both really, really good teams. It becomes a different conversation at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, as a Boston fan, you got to feel pretty good with your matchup here outside of the fact that it's the grudge match. You played them twice. They got the best of y'all. It, you know, it was that that was that in was the, the bubble, bubble season, right? In the bubble season, um, there was the incredible Bam block in Game One. I know Celtics uh, had a fourteen point second half lead in that game and lost. Right, and that was the the OT loss there. But different Jalen Brown, different yeah. Jason Tatum. Marcus is probably pretty similar, but he does seem to be playing better basketball right now in the playoffs than he did during the regular season. Derek White is certainly a different guy than he was last year. Um, Al Horford feels, you know, about the same. He was tremendous in the playoffs last season. I know he had some shooting woes in that 76ers series, but yeah, what he did. But he was awesome defensively. Yeah. I mean, this team's really good. They're, they have the best yeah. roster in the in the NBA. They do. And they have since since, you know, week one of the NBA season. So <laughs> I it's just they have to take care of business. Yeah. And I think like for the Celtics, and, and this goes beyond just the Heat series, for them to win a championship. I think the number one key is how Tatum and Brown play. And that's obvious. And we'd say the same thing for Denver. It's how good Jokic and Murray, you know, for the Lakers, how good is LeBron AD. But I think for the Celtics, two other huge pieces for them are Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams. Because Robert Williams, you mentioned how the Celtics shut down the Sixers pick and roll in game six and seven. I think that was because Robert Williams started and played a ton of minutes in both of those games. And like I go back to last year. Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year. Robert Williams was arguably the best defensive player on the Celtics. He Last year, he allowed .86 points per pick-and-roll defended. That's a mouthful, I know. But that was the best number in the NBA. He was yeah. the best big-man pick-and-roll defender in the NBA. And he allowed the lowest shooting percentage of any NBA player to face 500 shots or more. And so having that guy well, in the starting... a guy like Al next to him, the exa- versatility to, to pair them at the four and five. Not a lot of teams can do that. It's huge. And they call it the double big lineup here. Like, it's so valuable to have those guys. And then Brogdon, look, the, to me, the biggest reason the Celtics lost the NBA Finals last year and didn't win a championship, they had trouble executing offensively in the final five minutes of games. Yep. Game five against Milwaukee, game six against Miami, game seven against Miami, game four against Golden State. All those games they had leads with five minutes to go and lost, except game seven against Miami, which they almost lost. So they were one and three in those games. Now you have a guy in Brogdon who wins sixth man of the year, who can score 20 plus points a game. I think in this series against the Heat, but especially if they face, say, Denver in the NBA finals, you need that guy to have multiple big games. And you need that guy to hit a big shot or two in the final three minutes of a playoff game. And he's been good so far this postseason, but he's also had, like, you go back to game one against Philly, he had that really bad turnover at the end of the shot clock in the final minute. Like, he's had a couple of those moments. Now they need him to just be that sixth man of the year. And I think if they get that from those two guys, obviously with Tatum and Brown being good, but if they get those two guys to play well, I don't see anybody beating the Celtics, and I see them winning a championship. But if not, then I think the conversation totally changes. Right. I You almost, you know, I'm, I was praising Derek White and he deserves the praise because he's had a tremendous season. But, you know, Malcolm Brogdon was a, he was a borderline all-star. Yeah. He was with Indiana and, and with Milwaukee. 
that's the type of guy where when you get to the next round, which all things going accord, go according to plan, I, I think, again, I think the Celtics will. You know, White might have to be playing 15 to 17 minutes, and Brogdon might be having to play 30 minutes a game. I think his shooting, his his defense, which they both can play defense, but I think he's a little bit bigger, right? I think his ball handling and his presence under pressure um, is certainly something that has been really, really valuable for them. And yeah, I mean, I, Tatum to me, Tatum to me is is the real kind of key. You know, he's going to get doubled a lot in this series, especially in this series. Spolstra knows oh, yeah. that 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 has been very effective in years past. Um, and so he's going to have to make the right read, but it really helps when you have Malcolm Brogdon going four on three yeah. after Tatum kicks out of that that double, especially if it's, you know, from 27 feet away from the basket. Um, no, I mean, I, I think this is going to be an awesome series. I look at the two guys that you can throw at Jimmy Butler and Tatum and Brown, um, and you could throw Marcus on him too. That is not the same level of defensive weaponry that he has had to face Okay, the Bucks have Giannis, they have Brooke Lopez, but they weren't guarding Jimmy Butler. Chris Middleton yeah. coming back from an injury, Grayson Allen, like they did yeah. not pack Giannis missed two and a half games on top right. of it. Yeah. He 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 was able to get whatever he wanted. And uh, you know, so I think this is gonna be a real and then same thing, you know, you look at you look at RJ Barrett, you look at Quentin Grimes. Grimes I like as a defender and, and a role player, you know, maybe a starter for the rest of his NBA career. Um, both young guys though. And Jimmy Butler's not, he, he's not a young guy. He knows exactly what he's doing out there. And he was, you know, he was able to play with those guys like a yo-yo. And I think that will not be able to be the case against Tatum and Brown, who physical stature wise, they're both taller than him. Yep. And they're both just as built as he is and wide across the shoulders. Um, you know, I, I, there was a clip of Anthony Edwards talking about Jason Tatum and he was like, you don't understand. He like flexed. And he was like, that's Jason Tatum all the time. And I was like, yeah. that's really Anthony Edwards is a physical specimen. He's one of the most athletic guys in the league. And Tatum has really grown into his body. I mean, if you look at pictures of him from 2020 season. Oh, yeah. I agree. In comparison to now, like, he looks like a completely different guy. Um, and with his height, it's just, he's a problem. He's a real problem for defenses and offenses. And that's that's his value. And that's why I say top seven for him, because he plays on both sides of the ball. And he plays it in, at the highest level on both sides of the ball. That is everything you need to know about the Western Conference Finals and the Eastern Conference Finals here on Coach Time. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors to talk about some of those teams that didn't quite make it this far. Welcome back into Coach Time here on the Believe Network. I'm John Lyons. Have the pleasure of being joined by Alex Tosopoulos of the Charity Stripe and a producer at Believe Network, NBA expert, of course, as well. We spent the first half of the program talking about the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Be sure to check that out. Now, Alex, I want to get into some teams that did not make it there. And news broke today. The Philadelphia 76ers have fired Doc Rivers after three seasons all three resulting in second-round losses for the 76ers. And this is a team that they have Embiid, who's the MVP. Harden is wildly inconsistent. Maxi has a lot of promise, and he's a young player. But when I look at this firing, I, I'm not, I, I understand why they did it. But at the same time, I look at this as much more of a roster problem than I do a coaching issue. Hmm. I mean, Doc, a guy that you've seen a lot of, too. Yeah. And... He, I think he hasn't, he hasn't been to, 
the finals for 11 years. Uh, in 2010, the Celtics made it. And I think that's the so last 13, time. So 13, and then obviously yeah. they won in 08. Yeah. So it's been 15 years since he won that title. Um, he's had a tough time getting to the Eastern Conference Finals with this team. He has had, and, and previously when he was with the Clippers as well. Yeah. He has had, you know, probably in the last 10 years, as much talent as any other coach in the NBA. And it does feel a little bit like a fall, a fall guy firing. Um, but I think some of it has to do with Daryl Morey there as the GM, his relationship with James Harden, and understanding that for them to have the best shot at winning, they probably need to retain James Harden and keep him alongside Joel Embiid. And I was talking about that pick and roll. It was incredibly effective, obviously, in the regular season, less so against the Celtics in that playoff series. I would expect that they want to find someone who can work well with James Harden and keep him around because there's also been murmurs of him heading to Houston and now Ima Udoka is in Houston. Yeah. They have a really young core. There'd be a, a, a just a massive drop-off in pressure put on James Harden if he went there. So I can certainly see the appeal. We know he loves the city. Um, it, it's an interesting move. I do think it's the right move, but I also agree with you that that the personnel needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, I think I think both things can be true. I I just I've seen enough Doc to know that he has a very particular identity, and, and his teams take on, a, you know, they take on a lot of times, you know, who the coach is, and I think it was the same case with the with the Bucks and Coach Bud, and sometimes it takes, you know, some some uh, some new blood in there. But I also think it can't be, it can't be a guy like Missoula. Like it's got to be a guy that that knows how to to work with superstars like Embiid like Harden, um, get the best out of Maxi, and just, you know, rebrand the team, so to speak, in a way that allows them to have success in, in the playoffs. And what's interesting, too, is, and you mentioned Budenholzer, there's a lot of interesting candidates, highly qualified. Nick Nurse has won a championship. Monty Williams has been to right. the NBA Finals. Sam Cassell, who was a 76ers assistant, he won a championship on that 08 Celtics team. When you look at the Sixers, and I know you mentioned – they need to go in that direction of not a Missoula guy, someone more established. Do you think they go for a Nick Nurse? A Mont like to me, I, I think they go one of those guys, or do you think they lean towards the former player type assistant and see if that will help get through to Embiid and Maxi in the mix more? I really, I like the idea of Sam Cassell a lot. Um, I know he's a guy that, you know, Boston, Boston fans love too. I mean, he's been to a lot of different teams in the NBA. Um, He's been in that locker room. He has the pedigree as a player to talk to those guys and, and you know, keep things real with them. I like him, you know, with his ability as a guard to talk to Maxi and help him advance his game. He feels like the right fit. I think that D'Antoni is the wrong fit. And I know I've, I've also heard that floated out. And, of course, James Harden loves him. Daryl Morey has a great relationship with him. Um, I, yeah, it, it just needs to be the guy that doesn't try and shake things up too, too much. And so with Cassell being a guy that was there last season, um, I, it, to me, it feels like the right fit. But I'm, I mean, if they hire Nick Nurse or Monty Williams, like those are good hires. Those are great right. hires. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I really want to see Monty in, in Milwaukee. I think he'd do great work there. Um, but James Harden is really kind of the, the keystone to everything just and how it shakes out in the, in the off season for them, because he can be very fickle with his choices every now and then. And, um, you know, 
it was a disappointing game seven from an objective basketball standpoint, what he brought to that game, the intensity, yeah. the level of play and bead. I, I have a, you know, a little bit more leniency because I felt like he was, you know, banged up going into that game. And then the play where he falls on Marcus, um, yeah. I thought kind of it, it, to me, it looked he like he was a step slower even after that. So yeah, I mean, but, but you're right though. It's a personnel thing. They still need on their roster like the, the Celtics, what they did so expertly in game three, defensively in the third quarter, they identified that James Harden was not willing to take a high volume of shots, especially within 10 feet of the hoop. So they forced him to, you know, make the shooters beat them. And on the road, we know that that's tough in the playoffs. And the guys like Tobias Harris and DeAnthony Melton, um, you know, they, they Niang, who probably shouldn't have been on the court in the second half because of what happened in the first half. But, yeah, they didn't get it done. P.J. Tucker, they weren't able to hit their shots. They shot more threes than the uh, than the Celtics that game. I think they hit eight. But I think six of them came in the first half. Yeah, so, P.J. Tucker had three in the first quarter. Right, he was three for four in the first quarter. So I, I just felt like it was a great game plan by the, um, by the Celtics. But another kind of glaring issue that while the 76ers had better shooting this season, they didn't have elite shooters out there. No, no more Seth Curry, right? It's not like they had a guy... Um, who's kind of fallen out of our good graces, but a guy like Joe Harris, uh, they, they didn't have true sharpshooters out there with Embiid and with Harden. And uh, yeah, I think it was a, I think it was a problem for them. Yeah, I agree. And I felt last summer that the 76ers should have gone all in to trade for Kevin Durant, even if that meant including Maxi in a deal because Durant and Embiid, I think that's good enough to win a championship. And they didn't do that. They felt the personnel they had was good enough with the mix. And obviously it's not. We'll see if the fit with the new coach is any better. And you mentioned Monty Williams. Look, I, I know that the Suns got bounced in blowout fashion multiple years in a row in the playoffs, but this is a team that mortgaged their bench and a lot of their future to get Kevin Durant. He only played, what, eight games in the regular season with the Suns, comes yeah. into the playoffs, and he gets them to game six against the number one seed. Like, I, I mean, I, I understand the frustrations of the way their seasons have ended the last few years, but I was still kind of surprised that they let, I thought they would give him a whole year with Durant. Obviously they new ownership. They don't feel it's a fit. When you look at Monty Williams, a, do you think that the firing of him made sense and was justified And B, I know you mentioned Milwaukee. Talk to me about that fit, but also where do you else, if anywhere, do you see him next year? Well, first off, I think he's a good fit anywhere. I just, think he's a, I think he's a great coach. Yeah. Um, I think that guys love playing for him. Now, maybe one guy doesn't like playing for him, and maybe yeah. Ishbia and and I don't know how involved you know the conversations are with Kevin and, and with KD and with Devin Booker. Maybe they really feel like DeAndre Aiden is a is a core piece for them going forward. And clearly, there there was something testy between the relationship with with he and Monty Williams. I know that um, you know. The Arizona, the city uh, of Phoenix and the surrounding area, they absolutely love DeAndre Ayton, especially what kind of guy he is off the court. Um, I, that's like the only thing I can kind of postulate yeah. is the reason why. Like, otherwise, it just feels way, 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 way too far in advance for them to get rid of a guy like Monty Williams, um, uh, unless it's just an ego thing for Ishbia. And he's like, I want, I want my, my His fingerprints own guy. Yeah. all over this. Um, it does make a lot of sense to me. 
the the bud thing i i can wrap my head around um i think look he, he is the benefit of playing with the top 75 player of all time a guy that will probably yeah. end up top 25 of all time he might already be for some people's list in Giannis. i think that them winning that nba finals was due to the fact that they had Giannis on their team, which is not like, you know, there's, there's nothing crazy for me saying it, but I think yeah, it was you're right though. In spite of kind of the, the coaching woes that Bud had had um, in past really stubborn coach, not a guy that was willing to be malleable um, and change things up in the same type of vein as like a Ty Lu, who I think now gets praised a lot more than he used to, even though he won his championship um, with LeBron, but he actually faced a lot of criticism after that because they were kind of just like, you know, you're a you're a puppet head coach when you win for LeBron. Right. Um, I, so I I think that Monty stepping in for Bud would be an excellent fit. I think, again, I think he gets the best out of his players. He has had a great relationship with guys like Devin Booker, um, and I think he would he would continue that. I think he and Giannis feel kind of cut of the same cloth in the sense that they are just ultimate competitors, um, but, but caring guys, humble to the, for the most part. And I think, you know, guys like Middleton and, and holiday kind of, um, they echo that same kind of mindset as well. Drew holidays the, you know, I think he's won, uh, NBA like humanitarian of the year, yeah. whatever that award is called. I think he's won it twice. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think you'd just be an excellent fit there. And, and at that point, it's just the same kind of Thing that they've had to deal with the last three or four years, which is who are five through eight on your roster, right? Because you're because you're keeping Lopez, you're keeping Middleton, you're keeping Holiday, you're you're keeping Giannis, but can you upgrade Crowder or, or can you upgrade Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton or what do you do with those other guys? Bobby Portis, I think, is is also a safe lock to stay on that team. Yeah, and it's similar thing we talked about last year with the Celtics, and they upgraded. Now they're five through eight is Malcolm Brogdon and a full year of Derek White. Like it makes a huge difference. How about the guy that they lost to injury at the beginning of the season? If he were on this, Gallinari. Yeah, exactly. And the last team, Alex, I want to ask you about is actually the defending champion Golden State Warriors, and they had a really odd season, if you will, for the Warriors. It started out with Draymond Green punching Jordan Poole in the face in practice. Then they have. The one of the worst road marks, and the, they go 11 and 30 on the road. They were awful. They get to the playoffs, though, get down 2 0 to Sacramento, come back and win the series, win game seven on the road. Then right. they run into a Lakers team and they can't really match up with the size. And Jordan Poole's really inconsistent. And some of those other younger pieces are inconsistent. Clay Thompson doesn't play well. And it feels like for the last several years, they've had the contending group with curry and thompson and green but they've also been trying to build this second wave to keep them contenders for years to come and james wiseman was part of that obviously he's been traded since right. pool is a big part of that when you look at the future of the warriors I, personally I, I could still see them being contenders but do you think they can do this kind of two track two tiered we're going to be a contender now and develop these guys or do you think they're going to have to pick one direction or the other i think the the ship has sailed on the two timelines. Okay. Um, I think, especially with Wiseman now being in Detroit um, and, and what he was able to do in his quick stint there thus far, he was actually able to have more success. Um, and now the Pistons are kind of in this like luxury of riches situation with their bigs, their young bigs. They've got Duran, they've got Wiseman who could be something, maybe ba Bagley. Um, 
you've got Moody, who I think he showed some flashes in the in those two rounds um, that they competed in in the playoffs this season. I do something happened with Kaminga in these playoffs, and I think it, it has to do with the distrust that Steve Kerr at this point has with him, probably on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, maybe maybe just things aren't clicking as quickly as they need to. In an offense that that moves very quickly, you have to make the right pass, you have to make the right play, to constantly be moving. Um, to me, that's the that's the type of guy that you know you could look to package with some picks, go get another shot creator, um, because I, I think it's clear in in this postseason you cannot rely on Jordan Poole to be the only other guy that can create his own shot and create for others off the dribble outside of Steph. Um, I you know DiVincenzo is one of those guys where he showed some flashes. And I, I thought that he fit in really well as a role player. Peyton, of course, same thing there. But a lot of these guys are just like the best version of the role player that you're looking for. And when you don't have another guy that can create his own shot, Clay is not the same guy off the dribble um, that he used to be. And Anthony uh, Andrew Wiggins, you know, I, I think him missing that much time certainly had an impact because last season at the end of the playoffs, I would have told you that he was the second best player on this team. Completely and, agree. And I did not feel that way about his play um, in the playoffs this season. Again, as I mentioned earlier, to me, it was Draymond Green. Um, so I, I think they need some more help from a ball handling perspective to alleviate some of that pressure off of Steph. And I think they could do with getting um, another backup big who can kind of um, you know, take some of the pressure off of Looney and Draymond. Because if Looney got in foul trouble, um, you know, they were really in a tough, tough position. Because at Draymond at the five, while he's one of the best defensive players in the last 10 years, he still is a little undersized and he's only getting older. Um, so I would try and I would try and move Kaminga I and in picks to try and get, you know, two other players, uh, a backup big, and then another guard who can handle. And if you have to package in DiVincenzo, if you have to put Moody in there too, that's fine. Like you, you can deal with that. Um, I think they're just going to have trouble moving pool in that contract and how he finished the season. I don't know how enticing that is to, to other teams out there right now. Yeah. You almost wonder if they're better giving it just at least with pool another year. Cause if he can right. mature and become a legit piece, great for them. But even if it can be a little bit better, much easier to trade at that point. And I'm look, I'm never going to count out Steph Curry and clay and Steve Kerr and Draymond, but they do have some work to do this offseason, which you For highlighted. Sure. All right, Alex, why don't you tell the people listening where they can find you and your work? Um, well, you mentioned it already, the Charity Stripe. We uh, we do a daily show, so we release episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we have a show where we highlight the wonderful content at Believe called the Best of Believe Show. Um, that comes out on Stadium on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays every weekend. New show. Um, and then we also, we also have a show on Amazon amp. I'm just throwing you to like three different apps right now. Hey, uh, that's good. Fine. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Sundays we're, we're talking through the end of the, the NBA playoffs. Um, so go check that out on Amazon amp. If you have an iPhone, you can download that app and, and check the show out, but appreciate you having me on John and, and talking hoops with you, man. And I am, I am rooting somewhat for the Celtics to, to advance, to the uh, to the finals and win. I would say my list of who I want to win is the Nuggets one because I want to see Jokic get one. But then two, I'll have the Celtics because I would love to see Tatum and Brown win one and and not have to have the conversation that we're talking about with the Warriors. 
with the Celtics this offseason. Well, as you can see from the uh, picture behind me here, I'm, I'll take at least somewhat rooting for the Celtics. I, I appreciate that, Alex. Of and of course, when I said I'd have you on, I was thinking 20 minutes and we got so deep into it. It's 45 minutes later, but That's the way it super, goes. <laughs> super happy to have you on. And I appreciate you sharing your expertise. We'll have to do this again soon. I would love to come back. Thanks, John. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.